This is Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. And the best person to get an answer like that from would be Jesus. At Line Upon Line, we answer your Bible questions. Thanks for submitting them. In addition to that answer, open the book of Revelation. God wants you to be ready for the second coming of Jesus. And He wants you to have assurance about being ready for the second coming of Jesus. This is Line Upon Line. Thanks for joining us on Line Upon Line. We answer your Bible questions. Get your Bible questions to us and we'll do our best to give you a Bible answer. Us is me, John Bradshaw, and him, Eric Flickinger. Eric, thanks for being here. Good to be here, John. You ready to go? Ready. We've got some good Bible questions to answer. We are going to dive right in at the beginning. Here's our first question. And it comes from Ron. Ron asks, did Jesus have older brothers? If so, where in the Bible can I find this? Ron, good question. Eric, got a good answer. We've got a couple of places that you can find the answer to this question. Uh, first one is over in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 55. Verse 55 says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? You'll find something very similar over in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 3. So who were these brothers of Jesus? They were likely older brothers, uh, probably from one of Joseph's or from Joseph's previous marriage before he married Mary. Uh, how do we know that they were probably older and not younger, not siblings of his from Mary? Well, think about when Jesus died, when he was crucified on the cross, he, he gave his mother's care over to John. Now, if he had had younger siblings, then it's likely that Mary's care would have gone to them but that didn't happen. And so likely these were uh, older brothers of Jesus. They also teased him. Mm. The Bible records them, him, them teasing him. And if they were younger siblings, they probably would not have teased their older brother Jesus. Right, it even seems like in some places they remonstrated with him. And if they were the younger ones, they might have not wanted to do that. That's right. Yeah. So in all likelihood, Jesus certainly had siblings. There's no need to think he grew up an only child in a family without any others. Is there any other places in the Bible that you would recommend we look at just to flesh that out a little bit? Uh, let's see, we've also got uh, John 7 and verses three and four. John okay. 7, three and four. Let's take a look at those real quick. John chapter seven, verses three and four. I'll read Mark three thirty-one. Then came his brethren and his mother standing without and they sent to him calling him, reference to his brother, really very clear. There's no need to think this is just a figure of speech or an allegory. You look at John 7, 3 and 4, it says, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So there they are telling him what to do. Pretty clear. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Now, if you have a question for us, we want you to get it to us. Email it to us, lineuponline at iiw.org. Line upon line at iiw.org, and we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer to your Bible question. I have another question here. It's a good one. This, in a certain sense, is the question of questions. And the question comes from Gary, who says, how are people saved? How are people saved? Well, this is interesting because Gary fleshes this out. Uh, he goes, he says, why do some people teach that uh, asking God into your heart or saying a prayer will save you? The New Testament says the old law was nailed to the cross. So there are several things there. The New Testament, I'm going to touch on this very briefly. We could take a whole lot more time on that, but I won't. 
The Ten Commandment law of God was never, ever nailed to the cross. If you really thought that, then you would excuse people killing and committing adultery and bowing down to graven images and so forth. Now, let's understand something, though. While the law of God is certainly extant, certainly in existence today, and you are glad, Gary, and so am I, it's not the law of God that saves you. It is not obedience to the law of God that saves you. Now, Eric, we need to be careful when we say that, right? Because sometimes when you say it's not obedience to the law that saves you, some people think you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, exactly. And that would give us liberty to live immoral lives. And that sure would not be a good uh, example for the rest of the world of what a Christian's all about. Just yesterday, I was driving uh, along a, f- a highway with my wife and daughter. and We flipped on a radio station that had a well-known preacher uh, opining. And he said, those Old Testament laws were done away with. Now, that's really good because who wants to sacrifice an animal or keep a feast day unnecessarily? Right, except he went and lumped in there the Ten Commandments. You get in trouble when you do that. Oh, yeah. So you say the very right thing, those old laws are done away with, and then slip in there like, like a politician might slip something into a big omnibus bill to get something passed. You say, all oh, those old laws were done away with, but you make the Ten Commandments part of that old law. Oh, my goodness. You're doing people a real disservice. You're not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, even though the Ten Commandments are very important and still binding. What does the Bible say in Ephesians chapter 2? I'd better turn there and then I can read it for you. Ephesians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, starting in verse 8. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're talking about how a person is saved, how you pass from death to life, how you get from being lost to found. How? By the grace of God, through faith in God and in His grace. That's how you go from being a lost person to a saved person. God offers you the gift of salvation. You say, I believe it, I accept it. It's yours. Don't run too far ahead. Sometimes what we do is we say, what next? Well, what next is you live and grow in Jesus. But the question is about how you get to salvation from being lost. God says, you come to me and believe in me, I save you. The Bible says, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God saves you. When you do that, when you accept God's provisions for your salvation, and you do so by His grace, through faith, salvation is yours. Then, of course, the journey in salvation continues. And Paul gives us a picture of what that journey looks like as you continue reading. You read Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Mm -hmm, Verse 10 is a beautiful follow-up. Here's what verse number 10 says. Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. For good works, which God prepared before that we should walk in them. So there Paul says, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, yet we can expect that our lives will be changed as a result of that, uh, that accepting of salvation by grace through faith. Got an interesting question that was asked by my mother. My mother. Now, it didn't come to us from my mother. It came to us from Janet. But my mom asked me the same question. She came to church with me one day, you know, Eric, and she said, why do you all call each other brother? Why do you call each other brother? Why do you call someone sister? Not that at church, that's all you address somebody as. Right. But in church is brother Brown. Hey, good morning, brother, and so on. So Jeanette's question is, 
What does a brother and sister in Christ mean? Good question. Jesus gives us the answer. Here's what he has to say in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. It says, While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So why do Christians call each other brother and sister? Well, it's what Jesus told us to do. We are like siblings. We are brothers and sisters one of another because we have that bond together, and that is Christ. So when we desire to do His will, when we want to live our lives according to His guidelines, when we believe in Him and have faith and trust in Him, then we become brothers and sisters one of another. We are family. We are family. All right. Another question. This one's from Julie. And the question is, relating to a specific Bible verse, does God deceive people? What's Jeremiah 20 and verse 7 about? All right, Julie, let's read that. Jeremiah said, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. If you would read this passage, I'll just, I'll make it. Well, no, I won't. I won't make it so short. I'll read a couple of verses because they're colorful. Jeremiah 20, verse 1. Now Pashur, the son of Immer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pashur smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. Don't know if this has ever happened to you that you've been doing God's work because God asked you to and then you were put in the stocks. Did that ever happen to you? Or imprisoned or beaten? It may have, but at least in the Western world, not much chance of that. Jeremiah signed up to do God's work and what happened as a result? The brother was persecuted and it wasn't pleasant. And so down here a little bit further, he said, O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. I'll read verse eight as well, Julie. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and derision daily. Bottom line is this. Jeremiah wasn't saying, hey, listen, God, you lied to me. Jeremiah was saying, this is not what I signed up for. I feel like things have taken a decidedly dark turn. I'm supposed to be in the ministry here. I have the gift of prophecy. I'm a prophet. I'm supposed to just share your warnings. Didn't know I was going to get this. It's not, oh, you've deceived me. It's, God, I didn't know this was going to happen. I wasn't expecting any of this. What I love is verse 9. This is Jeremiah saying, oh, God, I've been deceived. Oh, Lord, I've, I've been on the off-scouring of the earth. Your word is a reproach. Verse 9, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more his name. Isn't that interesting, Eric? I'm done. I'm not even going to say anything more about God. Yep. I, I, I quit frustrated. But he couldn't quit. He couldn't quit. He said, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. I couldn't hold back any longer, Jeremiah said. And so I just continued to speak. Jeremiah said, man, this is not what I was expecting. This is not what I was after. I'm done. But his heart was God's and he couldn't be done. He had to continue sharing God's word. 
Good questions. What's our email address for people wanting to get questions to us? Our email address is lineuponline at iiw.org. We will be back with more Line Upon Line in just a moment. When an Italian priest told his congregation that he was going on a spiritual retreat, but was later rescued from a sinking cruise ship, he learned an important lesson. Truth matters. And the truth matters in the church. But a whole lot of what gets passed off as truth in the church today isn't. Don't miss The Mouth of Truth on itiswritten.tv. You'll visit captivating Italy, beautiful Bosnia, You'll see historical sites that attract people from around the world, and you'll discover how the church has been affected by teachings that don't originate in the Bible. Jesus said, the truth shall make you free. As planet Earth marches relentlessly toward the end of time, deceptions are on the rise. But it's the will of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, to keep us in the safety of His Word. You want to avoid deception. Don't miss The Mouth of Truth on itiswritten.tv. I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written, inviting you to join me for 500. Nine programs produced by It Is Written, taking you deep into the Reformation. This is the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. We'll take you to Wittenberg and to Belgium, to England, to Ireland, to Rome, to the Vatican City, and introduce you to the people who created the Reformation, who pushed the Reformation forward. We'll take you to sites all throughout Europe where the Reformers lived and in some cases died. We'll bring you back to the United States and take you to a little farm in upstate New York and show you how God spread the Reformation here. Don't miss 500. You can own the 500 series on DVD. Call us on 888-664-5573 or visit us online at itiswritten.shop. Planning for your financial future is a vital aspect of Christian stewardship. For this reason, It Is Written is pleased to offer free planned giving and estate services. For information on how we can help you, please call 800-992-2219. Call today or visit our website, hislegacy.com. Call 
Welcome back to Line Upon Line. We're glad you've joined us today. This is where we answer your Bible questions. We get a lot of Bible questions here at It Is Written. And if you have a Bible question, we'd love to answer that for you. At least we'll do our best. Email it to us. The e address is lineuponline at iiw.org. Lineuponline at iiw.org. And Eric, I have a question for you. All right. Question comes from Crystal. And she asks, does the devil try to mimic answering people's prayer, even though he doesn't have the power to answer prayers? If so, how can one know if the answer is from God or the devil? All right. uh, Great question, Crystal. How do you know whether the answer to your prayer is from God or the devil? Well, it depends a little bit. Say, for example, that you're praying that, uh, that you could get some more drugs and the drugs show up there's a fairly good likelihood that God is not answering that prayer. The devil is the one who is, who is interested in getting you the alcohol or the drugs or something like that. So how do you determine which one is which? Well, any answer that God gives you to prayer is going to go along clearly with what the Bible teaches. He's not going to answer a prayer contrary to what the Bible has to say. Now, he may not always answer your prayer exactly the way that you think he's going to answer your prayer. Sometimes he better, knows better what you need than even you do. But one of the best ways to get to know whether God is answering your prayer or not is to spend time with Him. As you spend time in His Word, studying His Word, as you spend time with Him in prayer, you begin to learn a little bit more about how God works with people. Uh, One powerful example of that is the story of Abraham. Abraham spent so much time with God that he knew God's voice, and he was able to tell clearly uh, that that was God who was speaking to him rather than the adversary. Uh, so as you spend time with him, you're going to get to know better his voice and how he answers prayer. Another thing, too, you don't have to be all neurotic about this. Uh, you pray for uh, a new car and next week a, a wonderful deal comes along and here's a new car. Look, to all intents and purposes, that was God. Of course, make sure it's not a lemon. Uh, God is answering your prayer. You know, you, you, you pray for fine weather for your child's wedding and it's a beautiful day. Don't overthink that. There's just no point. Now, what I think is important is you pray for a, a life partner, a spouse, mm. and someone comes wandering into your life. Undoubtedly, the devil is going to try to trip you up at every turn. He knows what you're looking for, and he would want to bring into your life the wrong person. So you make sure that this answer, apparent answer, lines up with the Word of God, lines up with good counsel and common sense and everyday wisdom, and you're going to be okay. Don't worry that the, that, that, that the devil is um, going to somehow interfere with everything you're doing in your life. You live for God and follow God's guidance. And as Eric said, you'll get to know the sound of God's voice. Next question is from Chris. And Chris asks, if you don't forgive people, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that God will not forgive you. That's correct. So does God keep answering our prayers if one does not forgive other people for their wrongdoing? That's a really good question. I'm going to answer that after I say this. First, you better forgive people because God said, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Pretty simple. If you're hard-hearted, if you won't exercise forgiveness towards others, God won't forgive you. Plain and simple. So it's best to let go and forgive. And I know you might be thinking, but that was such a big thing to forgive. Forgiving 
helps you a whole lot more than it helps the other person. Don't think because you've forgiven that person, you have to spend time with them. It might be best not to, but do forgive because that's what God wants you to do. But this question is interesting. Does God keep answering our prayers if one does not forgive other people for their wrongdoing? Uh, yes, no, but I think yes. You know why I think we ought to say yes more than we say no? Sometimes it's hard to play Holy Spirit here. Sometimes God might suggest, I'm not gonna answer this certain prayer because of the state of that person's heart. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's Psalm 66 and verse 18. However, most everybody on this earth has not reached the point of complete sanctification yet. We're still growing. We still have faults and foibles. We're still getting things wrong. God answers our prayers while he seeks to grow us. So don't confuse those two things. If you cling to sin and hang on to sin and you refuse to let sin go, that's a different ball game. But if you're growing, if you're growing, if this is just part of not being the finished product yet, you can know that God works with you and does answer your prayers in spite of your lack. Next question. Next one, this one's on prayer again as well. We're kind of on a roll with prayer, it seems okay. like today. Uh, this one says, are there scriptures that say that unanswered prayers are a blessing? Unanswered prayers are a blessing. Well, I don't know of a scripture per se that says that unanswered prayers are a blessing, but again, this comes back to the idea that God knows better what's best for us than we do. Uh, in fact, in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11, it says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Sometimes that's uh, translated as an expected end. So God knows what he wants for us. And sometimes when we're praying, we're not asking for the things that are really best for us. And God knows that. So does he ever not answer our prayers or give us different answers? God always answers our prayers. He sometimes says yes, he sometimes says no, and sometimes he says not right now. And, uh, and depending on what we're asking for and God knowing what's best for us, uh, he can answer it the ways that he thinks is best. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He didn't say outright what that was. He had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed that God would remove it. He prayed three times that God would remove it. God did not. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. So what you've got to know is you're praying for a, a car and instead you get a bicycle. It may be because God knows what's best. So certainly unanswered prayers can be a blessing, but as for a Bible verse to that end, I'm not so sure. You're not so sure either. No, there is one more that's, uh, that's helpful though. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We may think we've got it all together and know it all, but God uh, certainly knows more. Got a question from Kevin. This is a good question. He's asking about Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. He says, how do I turn my foot from the Sabbath? Maybe we should read that passage. Eric, have you got that? I will have it here in one moment. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. It's a terrific passage. So let's read that now and then we'll get to the part that speaks or that deals with turning your foot from the Sabbath. What do we got? Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 says this. 
If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So clearly what's recorded here in the book of Isaiah is a blessing if you do what is suggested. And he says, what is the the request? He says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath. So what does that mean? Well, think of it like this. Imagine that you are stomping, treading on God's holy day. And he says, stop treading on it. Stop doing your own things. Take your foot off of it. Stop grinding your heel on it. And let the blessing come forth from it. And you are going to find that you ride on the high places of the earth and are fed with the heritage of Jacob, your father. Stop stepping on my holy day. A lot of people have forgotten that the Sabbath day is a holy day. Hmm? It's not a day for just doing your regular thing. And thank God it becomes a special day, a special day of communion with God and worship and fellowship with others. Uh, Isaiah, I think, looked down through time, perhaps under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and knew that uh, many years later, most everybody would have forgotten that the Sabbath is holy. God reminds us of that. He says it's a blessing. Protect that blessing and you'll be blessed. Time for one more question. This one's from Teresa who asks, I'm a faithful tither and yet there's so much continuous loss. Why? Yeah, good question. God promises to bless you when you tithe. He says he will pour out so much blessing that you won't have room to receive it. So let's ask ourselves, Loss, blessing. Now, God did not say that tithing is a fail-safe, foolproof way to stop difficulty from coming. You can be a faithful anything you want, and yet your loved ones are going to die. Your pet will wander away, perhaps. You'll be involved in an accident. You may get sick. You may suffer financial loss. That storm that blows through town might go around your house. You hear of stories. You hear of stories where that happens, but also might not. God's people aren't immune to the vicissitudes of daily life. That's right. Yep. And often God knows that we need some of the trials to help refine our characters as well. You know, when in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, it talks about uh, pouring out a blessing on us so much that we don't even know how to receive it. Sometimes we look in the wrong place for the blessings. That's right. We may be thinking just financial, but that's, that's a very narrow field. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes those blessings could be a, a closer walk with God, a more productive Bible study. A healthier living so we don't spend so much time in the hospital. Those blessings can come in manifold ways. And I see a little danger here, Teresa, that you might be thinking, look, I've been tithing and I'm still losing here and losing there. So what's the point? I'm not suggesting. you say, No, I am suggesting you might be saying that. I'm not stating that you are. So here's what you do. You say, I'm going to obey God irrespective of the consequences. I'm going to tithe because that's the will of God, no matter whether financially I'm up or down. And wait, we're not at the end of the race yet, so wait and see how this resolves. I'm going to treat my body like the body temple, no matter what people say. So resolve to glorify God no matter what, and you'll find that God will honor you and he will bless you and you'll have the peace that passes all understanding. And that's what you want. This has been okay. Thanks very much, Eric. Great to be here. Appreciate it a lot. That address to get questions to us, line upon line at IIW.org. With Eric Flickinger, I'm John Bradshaw. God bless you. We'll see you next time.